Welcome. Welcome to uh, Energy Bites episode five. Got uh, Matt Harriman and Josh Groves from Pod 2 with us. Um, no, just excited to have you guys on. Yeah, uh, we're excited too. Thanks, Bobby. You got it. Happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, glad we could snag you while you're <laughs> Yeah, while you're in. Yeah. In Josh is, well, I'm, let him introduce himself. He's in from not just Canada, but Newfoundland, which yeah. is like a whole other world. So, <laughs> uh, you know, happy to have you on while you're here. So, um, but yeah, if you guys uh, want to maybe just introduce yourselves real quick, you know, who you are, where you're from, you know, how you got here and uh, go from there. Yeah. Go ahead. Me first. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> my name's Matt Harriman. Uh, right now I'm the founder of Pod2. You know, I was born and raised, you know, Texas, San Antonio, Amarillo, played baseball growing up. And so I wasn't good enough to go to a school that had an engineering program. So I did math, um, but then ended up joining Chesapeake Energy in 2011, not knowing what an oil was. Um, <laughs> an oil. <laughs> I, I mean, like, yeah, your background is extremely similar to mine. So it's, yeah. yeah. And so like I, I literally got the job because I was spamming Oklahoma City with resumes to try to pay for my wife's engagement ring um, just for like a summer job. I'm like, oh. Here's a career by accident. Yeah. Um, got in there, you know, took six months to realize that I hated working for a big company. Um, but we were a customer of Intersights and I was running field development plans for the Utica for Chesapeake and, you know, liked it, you know, took to it and got, had a good relationship with the Intersight guys at the time. Um, so joined them. I think I was employee number like 20. Um, Josh joined Intersight at like the same time. So that was like 2013. Uh, we grew up through... Intersight and as it got bought and bought and bought, um, started pod two in 2019. Uh, so I focus more on consulting. Um, that's where it started. And then when Josh joined in 21, that's when kind of built out the, the tech side of the business. Sweet. Yeah. And, and so my background, um, I studied mechanical engineering in, in Newfoundland. Um, we didn't have a petroleum engineering program. So I ended up taking a couple of courses on top of the mechanical just to get used to that. Um, and so then I worked with a couple operators, smaller operators in Newfoundland. And then uh, afterwards, I, I was looking around and I, there weren't a lot of uh, job opportunities in Newfoundland. So I started looking around uh, at other places like Alberta and Texas. And I figured I might as well go right to Houston and, and experience that whole side of the industry. So that's what I did. So I moved down and that's when I joined Intersight. And that was back in 2013, like Matt said. Um, so we're a really small company. So working at a startup was really exciting and enjoyed that side of it. Um, and then when Matt went out on his own, I was pretty eager to join him. And then that's when I joined him in 2021. So I, I'm running the tech side of pod too. Cool. So tell now that we've kind of established where you guys are at, tell us a little bit more about kind of pod two and what it is. Cause y'all are kind of do both sides of it, so to speak. Yeah. So the, the underlying purpose to the, company is to remove suffering for people at work. Um, and I think the way that we do that is, is in various, like there's various ways that we do that. But the, um, one of the things that I think is a little bit different is that there's, you know, consulting firms and companies that focus on, you know, nothing but profit and, you know, helping, uh, helping others, you know, make more money, save money, all of that stuff. And they don't think about the people at all. And then on the flip side of that, there's, you know, culture consultants that think money is a bad word and just do woo woo kumbaya shit. Um, and we kind of want to find the harmony between like between right. the two where, you know, doing the right thing for your people um, really does lead to a better business outcome, you know, and more sustainable business, you know, better for everybody. Um, 
So the way that I do that is through consulting. You know, I hate the word management consulting, but that's kind of what I do. Um, a lot of process improvement. So helping companies figure out, you know, how a process is bad, um, how it should look in the future, make decisions, get people aligned, all that kind of stuff. Um, also do a lot of like leadership development and culture, like team building, not from a trust fall standpoint, but from a like, how do we actually be effective and get stuff done standpoint? So is that primarily like what's y'all's kind of targets? Like, is there a specific y'all are looking at oil and gas, energy, mm -hmm. anybody? And then on from like the kind of technical operations piece, is it strictly like looking at my tech operations or my data operations, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it? Um, or is it just more like all encompassing kind of th the consulting side is definitely all encompassing <clears throat> like most of the almost all of our business is oil and gas but then the the leadership development stuff the team development stuff we've done that kind of work with startups we've done it with you know other consulting firms which is kind of funny like consulting firm brings in a consultant, Another consulting firm, right. <laughs> um that was actually like some really good work uh, i was proud of that one um but yeah, it, it's pretty all encompassing. So usually, you know, we'll we'll get to the root of a problem and say, you know, your forecasting is biased or, you know, you have competition that's unhealthy between assets or this whole process just takes too long, um, that kind of stuff. And then we're really good at breaking that down into symptoms and causes, um, breaking that down into, you know, there's multiple projects that usually come out of something like that. It right. could be data project could be a software tool need could be a process change people change like all Got of it. that kind of stuff cool no that's i'm glad you're you're not just approaching the well this data needs to go over here like the integration or you yeah. know mm -hmm. just like true consulting kind of dev stuff because you can have the best tools in the world but if the people that are, are in the field that need to be using them aren't using them or they're not designed the way that works with their workflow then who gives a shit, right? Yeah. And, and that was one of the things that, you know, working for Intersight and Alcerna and, you know, we got to work with some of the big consulting firms and saw how they operated. Um, and what was missing was a level of care about, you know, how the, the entire team, the entire like ecosystem would actually right. work together. When you work for a software company, you know, every problem can be solved by your software. Right. For <laughs> if, sure. If not, then like you're pretty incentivized to make it seem that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that was that limited scope was something that I found really frustrating because we'd work with somebody, you know, do a real process change and, you know, the change management was cut short because they didn't trust a software vendor to do it. Or the problem was this team didn't work well together or the data wasn't right or all of that stuff. And that wasn't our job to right. fix. Um, and that, that got really frustrating. So that was one of the first things when I started was for one, I want to be somebody that these companies can actually trust, do yeah. not screw them. And then the other part was need kind of a full scope of, you know, how to solve the problem, no matter how, what the solution looks like. Cool. No, that's, that's awesome. I like that approach a lot. Yeah. It's, it's fun. <laughs> it's important. Like I sleep better at night because yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm able to just do what I think is right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it's so infuriating you know whether you're selling software or hardware into these companies because almost all of the time it's like well if we had this piece of data that i know you have and you own mm -hmm. but there's no way to access it or you don't want to give it to us or expose it to us or whatever then it could make this process so much better or we could also do all of these other things on top of it if you just let us do that but because you're in that traditional i'm just selling this widget software i can't 
I can't push too much on that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And you know, myself and you know, Josh and a lot of others, we would always do, I think what was best for the customer, but that limited, you know, right. our careers sometimes because yeah. you're not doing what aligns best with your company. And that kind of stuff was tough. So like we've been really cautious about our incentives. So we haven't taken any investors. We're we're bootstrapped. We're trying to we're trying to stay that way. Um, you know, we'll take money if we have to at some yeah. point to keep the lights on, but it's not looking like we'll need to, which yeah. is which is good right That's now. Awesome. Um knock on wood for that. <laughs> try to keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to keep it that way. And and it, and and that just helps us have the freedom to do what we think is right. Yeah. And I think that's another big struggle of a lot of startups, right? Is like, hey, this this isn't the most well-defined or well-scoped project, but we need the money, so we're going to take yeah. it and then it becomes this nightmare for everybody involved and yeah, you just wasted a bunch of time and resources and all that. Tell me more about the the software kind of side, the the actual stuff that y'all are working on that. Yeah, so the the tech side is really driven by a lot of the same goals as the consulting side of the company. So um, for oil and gas specifically, we're looking for gaps uh, where either a vendor didn't want to build software in a certain space because it's not in their best interest. And so there's lots of those gaps that exist, especially <laughs> on the integration side. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of that. And then um, just from speaking to people, sometimes uh, we get ideas sourced from uh, consulting projects that we work on. And so we get ideas from that where people are facing real challenges and we have the technical skills to be able to fix that for them. Um, so some of it comes from that, um, for inspiration. Um, yeah, just speaking to people really like that's, that's been driving the tech side of the business. And so what we started with, um, our, uh, focus on filling in those gaps, like I said, so we have, uh, an Aries QC product and that was, um, based on speaking to so many different oil and gas companies that have quality problems in, in their forecast in the production forecast. Um, so we just created a little tool to go through and run QC checks um, that would make life a lot better for a lot of the techs that were running these queries uh, every single month that would do that kind of thing. But, you know, it's always something that's not prioritized. So they couldn't right. spend a lot of time building out more checks, even though they know that they should exist. So there's yep. always a lot of manual yep. uh, steps involved in that. So that was an opportunity where we saw we could just make life better for a lot of those people. So we built that. Um, we put out another tool that's totally free. That's called the upstream planet planning radar. Um, and that was just to raise awareness of a lot of the software out there. Um, if you speak to a lot of companies, they're not even aware that, especially some of the smaller uh, software companies that they don't, they're not aware that those even exist or right. the fact that this software integrates with all the other tools that I'm already using. Um, so we just wanted to make that available. So that one's out there and people are using and, and yeah, no, that, that was pretty great. I know uh, Michelle on, on my team used that pretty extensively. <laughs> you know, we're, we're evaluating some planning, planning yeah. close too. So uh, that and, was very helpful. And it's, it's based on our own interactions with how people are actually using the software right. rather than what the some landing page says. Theoretical, <laughs> yeah. conceptual yeah. design, right? Yeah, because yep. especially in planning, like if you look at the feature lists of, you know, a lot of the tools, they're basically the exact same, right. but who they're actually built for is totally different, different, different audiences. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't imagine oil and gas companies having any data quality issues whatsoever. <laughs> right? like, and what a, yeah, what a huge opportunity for you guys and everybody else out there, right? Just because there's just so many. I mean, y'all are looking at it kind of from the production ops perspective, but there's, I mean, all the way to accounting and legal mm -hmm. and all that stuff, right? Like, yeah, you know, but I, I guess talk about you're talking kind of about the validator. It's what it's called, right? Pod yeah, validator. that's that's I mean, the validator, and then but I mean, like that workflow. I mean, can just shave 
you know, minutes or hours of, you know, really not productive time, especially if mm-hmm. you want to iterate multiple times, but you know, you got to trust that forecast exactly. each time you run it. But, um, and so how are y'all kind of commercializing those? So one of the, the mapping one is free. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's also a CapEx one. Yeah. So the validator was the, the first one and then we had the radar and then the, the newest one that we have coming out now, um, that we have a few customers already is the planner. And so yeah, that's focused your, on so one of y'all's LinkedIn posts with the video. I was like, yeah, that is slick. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, what I said when he very, showed it. Very, very sexy. <laughs> Describe that real quick because I want people to go check it out because it's, it's impressive. Yeah. So that's the planner. So it's, it's really for, um, we started with scheduling workflows. So, um, you know, as you develop a field, you need to figure out which wells to drill where and, um, all the time and consideration. So, you know, you have a limited number of uh, drilling rigs and frack crews that you want to run. Um, so scheduling all that out so you can create a full drill schedule, um, that you can interact with. So that's one of the big distinguishing features of that product is that you can drag and drop live and see all of the other rules that you have set up, um, create a drill schedule for you around um, all of the information that you actually know. Um, so that was a big focus of this new tool, new tool. And then, um, we're also building on planning workflows to that. So adding in uh, CapEx so you can see. As I make those uh, right. schedule changes, what does that do to my CapEx profile? So you can see monthly or quarterly or, or annually, uh, how close am I to my capital budget? And then the the next piece that we're working on now is production focus. So you can bring in your production forecast and see what does that do to my production profile too. Yeah. So we're That's, really excited about that. But Josh, my Excel sheet is super... Uh, interactive as well, right? I, I assure you, it's not. No, <laughs> no. I mean, like, I mean, you know, uh, full disclosure. You know, I go, you know, we've at least been discussing some of these workflows with uh, with these guys. You know, at, at GME, and um, you know, I think everyone goes through their iterations. I mean, there's all different kinds of planning software. I mean, Microsoft Planner, you know, Primavera, and I mean, in specific stuff, for oil and gas. And we we've been going down the Excel rabbit hole. It's just like it's just not sustainable. Yeah, I mean, so. Um, <laughs> how all of these billion dollar companies run on their operations side for yeah. the most part. <laughs> um, no, no, it is really cool stuff. I mean, so I think, if, you know, kind of, I think it's a pretty good segue maybe like into some of the data and technologies yeah. stuff. I mean, and again, we've kind of got a two headed monster here with both of you here, but I mean, as far as like getting into data and technology or really maybe like heavy side, I want to get to you, but I was, I've been curious because you were on the math and applied, applied math or statistics. Yeah, yeah. Grad school is applied math. Okay. So like, do you dabble in any of the coding or do you ever do R or any of that kind of stuff? Or? No, I mean, no. I, I did, I did some terrible modeling in MATLAB in, <laughs> yeah. in college. I did some v, VBA stuff yeah. when I had to as a tech and stuff, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't do any coding. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean on, on chat GPT <laughs> yeah, like, for anything I might do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really Josh's, Josh's space. Like, I'm really good at, you know, problem solving and, and like that kind of stuff and designing systems yeah. and things like that. But you got to know what they building, can do, but building yeah. a piece of, of software. Like, yeah. No, no, you, you don't want me to do that. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I would qualify myself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we all have certain levels of that though. I mean, I, I'm like to think I'm pretty good, like in the data, you know, analytics space and you know, I did a full stack web development bootcamp, but I wouldn't hire me to build you a website. I mean, like, <laughs> I like to think that I'm a very good user of software. Yeah. I can usually point out when, hey, like this is stupid. Yeah. And it shouldn't work that way. But yeah, beyond that. Yeah. And, that, and that's one of the reasons our setup works pretty well right. is we're, we're totally complimentary. So Matt's really 
great at figuring out which workflows we need to support and, and how to do it. And then I can design an actual solution to that. So yeah, yeah, I think and, it works really well. And and I'm I'm lazy as hell when it comes to software too. Like <laughs> I don't want to have to click more than oh, like half a time to yeah. get to what I want. And and so between that and you know, I, I think that's the other difference is like the difficulty with which Josh will add anything to the screen. Like it's it's really hard yeah. to get him to do that. Like it has to have justification. And so like that's one of the things that we saw in the past is softwares just get really bloated. Right. Yeah. You know, a customer asks for just something, you just say yes to get the deal. Like too much crap gets added to it mm -hmm. without like that intention. And, and yeah, we're not going to do that. Nice. It definitely helps having both domain knowledge and then focus on does like just yeah. generally understanding what good and bad stuff is yeah. from a design. Like I'm an ME as well. And I w went to school to be an ME because I could, the car that I had in high school, you could tell that it was assembled by robots and then no one ever actually did any <laughs> work on it. <laughs> yep. And it's like, this could just be designed better so that this isn't nearly as difficult to change. Like the speakers was just a huge pain in the ass. And it's like, there are two screws yeah. held in. Like, why is this so complicated? Right. And so I've always been a big, you know, kind of, proponent and just nerd about ui ux and yeah because especially when you start getting into analytics and data like you can view whatever you want in whatever type of plot and all of that stuff but like the type of plot matters and where it is matters and how many clicks it takes you to get there yeah. matters and how many different ways you can get there matters like there's so much to it that i feel like so many people still underestimate especially in the oil and gas industry that like again best software in the world it can be best algorithm model whatever but if the user interface sucks and the end user isn't able to use it yeah. then it doesn't matter and right? that, that's yeah. something that was really cool um when we're creating the validator so it's for aries users so it's for the people that have decided not to go to combo curve mm -hmm. or something more like more modern and so like what josh said is his design principle is he wants it to to be such that if they just mash the biggest button on the screen, it just works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there was one sales oh, call that we true. had and like we taught the guy how to use the tool faster than we taught him how to share his screen. Like, yeah, <laughs> that, was yeah. A, that was a fun one. Yeah. But I, I think Josh undersells himself. Like he's, he understands the workflows. Like he worked at an operator before too. So he worked sure. at Interside on the implementation side. So like he gets the business workflows, but he's also like a wizard with the software yeah. stuff too. Right. And taught himself as a kid um did probably illegal things i don't know you probably don't want to talk about that everyone did yeah <laughs> I mean, that was the kind of where i want to dive in that i didn't know when you started you know your software journey like you know yeah i was always kind of interested in software early on and so you know in, in high school i did a lot of just programming random things just yeah. for fun basically and you know everybody edited their myspace page and yeah <laughs> so, it's funny yeah, that's how, how like, a lot of people learn HTML. No, it's CSS, true. Right? Like, <laughs> as kids of the internet age yeah. or whatever we're calling that, millennials, whatever. Like, we we got to experiment with a lot of random shit that we would never have touched had it not been us growing up in that decade. Yeah, right? like, exactly. I mean, why? I, I should have no re like half of us should have no idea what torrents are, other than <laughs> all of the music down, like you know, or yeah. the media and stuff like Napster and all that. But it's it's wild how that kind of just shakes out and kind of shapes you in the future. What was your first language that you learned? Do you remember? I think probably, well, HTML, but it, I, I think like the first real language was PHP. Yeah. yeah. And it was just really popular at the time. And that's what I started playing around with. Um, just to, as I started wanting to make dynamic websites, I got into that. And then, um, and during my, my engineering work terms too, um, there, there was always 
an opportunity to yeah. write some VBA or something like that. So I, I used to spend and a lot of time. Spreadsheets, that. Baby, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you're yeah. handed the spreadsheet and, and it's just staring at you and it's begging to be automated. Yeah. So So I spent a lot of time like that. And I, I mean, I wrote a plugin for AutoCAD on one work term because uh, we were doing a material takeoff. So you would like click on each line and, and measure it. And I was like, surely we can automate this. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of experience programming through my work terms that way too, just because it, it happened naturally. Um, and then, so when I joined Entersight, I was working as a consultant there, um, but the same kind of thing happened. And that, you know, we had um, a lot of macros and things like that where it could just be a little bit smoother if we created a proper application right. for it. So yeah. that's where I started dipping my toes into it uh, more seriously. And um, I eventually ended up moving from Houston to Calgary. I switched over to the development side of the, the organization. And so I ran some uh, development teams there. And that's that's when I basically switched my career path yeah, fully into software. Yeah, That's cool. That's great. What, uh, let me ask you something. So what kind of, because I think what y'all do is a very like, underappreciated or kind of overlooked approach to especially in the oil field what is y'all's kind of uh, pitch or just lessons learned so far with kind of you know the companies that you're working for and the stuff that you're building around you know hey this might not have a very clear like efficiency gain or revenue or i'm sorry profit increase or whatever but holistically it ends up making the entire value chains life easier, more efficient, more accurate, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like even something as simple as you know, showing the data quality issues mm -hmm. in an Aries forecast, like that potentially has millions, if not billions of dollars of impact on some, yeah. on a company. Right. And so like something as simple as just, Hey, this data is crappy. So it needs to be revised is extremely valuable, but it's one of those like chicken egg things, right. That you don't, a lot of operators just get scared of because they don't know what they don't know until it's too late or whatever, but yeah, I, I mean, I, we don't do projects, you know, we're working with, you know, mostly publicly traded companies or very for-profit companies. And so if there's not a bottom line impact, like it's not going to happen, like it's not going to get funded. And, and I think, so what we have to do is educate people on the impact of this stuff. So at, even if there's zero, you know, change to decisions that are made or, you know, real i'd say real business outcomes right. like you're going to increase your likelihood of people quitting um burnout you know, like their like individuals effectiveness and especially right now a lot of executives yeah. are afraid of a recession so they're not hiring so teams are running super super lean well how do you get more out of your people like it's better processes and training right that's what you got to do um but yeah i, I think the education and, and getting to the actual like value of the thing is something that a lot of people just stop short on. They don't really think about, okay, the knock-on effect of, like the Aries Data QC one. Like the easy one is, yeah, it'll save techs and reservoir engineers, save them time. But if you think about, hey, we're using Aries to evaluate ac yeah. potential acquisitions, <laughs> right. and yeah. we know something about that other company's database that they don't, like that's huge value. And that yeah. happened, like with one of the one of the customers, and that was super cool, which... Yeah. You know, for a tool that's a hundred bucks a month, like, come <laughs> no, on, yeah, pretty good, uh, <laughs> pretty good and risk, like, uh, yeah. risk reward. Yeah, because I mean, even like you look at, I mean, we, we just closed a deal for eight hundred twenty-five million from. I mean, like 
even if you're off by a million, you know, like that pays for itself. Yeah. Magnitude. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. And, and I'm actually, I'm writing an article right now on, you know, how a, a healthy like work environment drives a healthy PNL um, and getting into some of this stuff, like good process, happiness at work. Like a lot of that stuff goes together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I've, I've seen bad software, you know, at where we're at, you know, like that we've lost people <laughs> like, cause yeah. they don't want to work. They don't want to use that software anymore. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the reasons on, on the software side. So like how this plays into the decisions that we make on the software side, we, we don't do concurrent licensing where you like share a copy across a bunch of people because on the implementation side, we've been sitting there with somebody, you know, on a Friday evening at 7 PM downtown and they have to get something out. Right. But somebody left the tool open on their computer <laughs> and so they can't get into it. And so they're having to call whoever like Sally at her kids musical to try right. to, Hey, can yeah. you log out of whatever tool? And you've seen that stuff and just like little things like that have a bigger impact than I think people think about. Yeah. Well, I think too, there's like, there's so many just holistically looking at it from a lot of my experience. There's so many like compounding things that like when people are analyzing it individually, they're like, Oh, well it's maybe not, really that big of an impact but it's like well the, the 20 minutes a day that it saves this person that makes the data quality better so they have more or they have more time to make the data quality better so now that impacts the person down the line that gets that data which then impacts the forecast like there's just this, a lot of it to me it's like a domino effect and a lot of times people only look at that first domino they don't look at the whole thing right yeah and and i mean our, our main space is planning and like what what is planning it's deciding how you're going to allocate your resources and if like there was a study that we did years ago with KPMG where I think planners and people in planning said that they spend like 90% of their time screwing around with data or like manipulating right. stuff. And that's that's 90% of their time spent not analyzing things mm -hmm. and not trying to make good decisions. And that stuff's harder to quantify, but it's real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, I was doing some research on RPA and, uh, you know, some of the the big consulting firms and stuff they were i was looking at it from an accounting perspective and it was i can't remember the stat which i'm sure i'll make completely make this up but i want to say it was around 70 percent of accountants time was still spent like manually entering stuff and as like a young yeah. tech person like, 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 pulling down the excel sheet shit. doing things like excel sheet. how yeah. how like because you have hordes of accountants at a lot of these operators and a lot of them are literally just taking field tickets and manually entering them in. And it's like, guess what? The service company would love not to have to have field tickets. Yeah. You would love not to have to have this giant staff of humans just mm -hmm. monotonously typing in numbers. Yeah. Why don't we solve this problem by using modern technology? Mm -hmm. And it's like there's so much of that. But uh, we could probably talk so, quite a bit on this. So yeah, I mean, let's, let's pivot. <laughs> Yeah, so I can nerd out a little bit. I mean, so I mean, obviously, some of this flows in like as a probably your design choices on mm -hmm. being able to choose like technology behind your softwares that make it suck less, right? You know, Absolutely. You know, yeah. Um, so I mean, it seems like you're definitely a bit of a polyglot, right? It means you can kind of work in and out of different you know coding languages. I mean, what do you what what do you say maybe typically attack a software problem with first like? C sharp .net or something like that. And then if you need something that's faster, I mean, I know you're using some other stuff in, um, in the planning tool, you know, just, just kind of curious yeah. where you like to start. What's in your, what's in your stack? What's kind of your go-to for some of your, you know, what are some considerations yeah. of Code, making those decisions? Front end database, all that. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of the tech choices are driven based on the workflows. So if we need things to go really fast, the the go-to for us is Rust just yeah. because uh, we get really, really high performance from yeah. that. And so anything that you're doing, like a large calculation or analysis that might potentially take more than a second to run or something like that, that will always go to Rust. Um, and that's, a, that's what we did for the planner. And that's why the, the calculation runs as fast as it does. Um, but we use the, the best technology uh, for that that workflow. So um, on the UI, I mean, we can get the best experience just by using uh, a lot of the typical web stack that's out there. So, uh, you know, we use TypeScript um, yeah. for all of the, the UI, TypeScript and React. I think that's like a pretty yeah, common pretty standard, yeah. stack for the, the front end now. Um, but I have experience working with uh, lots of languages, like you said. So, you know, if I'm going to write a like a plugin for Power BI or something like that, then I'll I'll use C Sharp, which is like the the go to for that. Right. Or, or same thing for Spotfire. Um, so it really just depends on what we're trying to do. Um, the performance benefits sometimes influence that, and that's where we shift in one direction or the other. Yeah. With uh, so I, with Rust. Um, the only thing I can see is a kind of somewhat negative there is like you can't replicate yourself, unfortunately. Yeah. Or not yet, at least, right? Modern technology. Yep. Um, Auto GPT is coming. Um, <laughs> Soon. <laughs> you know, is is like being able to onboard someone else or being able to find that that talent to to join if you need to scale at, at some point. Is that some you kind of figure it out when you get there, kind of thing? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely thought about it a lot, and so we have a, a developer working with us. Um, who hasn't had any prior rust experience um and he's able to pick it up pretty quick and yeah. he's a, he's a junior so um just cross training from python onto rust has yeah. actually been pretty smooth um so i'm excited about that because yeah. that kind of proves to me that you can probably pick up rust at least for um you know some of the the simple tasks um early on and then you Kind of gradually get more and more right, into the, the complicated stuff use yeah. it and yeah. solve problems with it and start to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, so there there is a nice uh, onboarding path there. I mean, there, it is a bit of a steep ramp for a lot of developers, but we uh, we work one on one and work through problems uh, a lot. So I think that helps a lot, um, yeah. especially in the early days when you're just first picking up a language like that. Um, and the alternative is basically like I would have to use uh, C plus or something like that and. Uh, that's also very yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a steep learning Rust is curve. Yeah. Type safe, right? Or yep. yeah, yeah. Word C plus plus. You have to manage the memory a little bit more and everything. And yeah, so Rust helps you a lot with memory management and and all that stuff. Um, so they're both statically tight, but C plus plus is just uh, it, it's just a lot harder, yeah. I would say, for people to pick up uh, versus if you have somebody that has exposure to uh, Python or JavaScript or something like that. There, yeah. there is a fairly natural path to picking up Rust, I would say. Um, and so our experience so far is proving that hopefully that's, yeah. that's always going to be the case. Yeah, no, um, I mean, that's a, I was going to point that out. That's a, it's interesting to hear because I feel like that's, it's something a lot of people, especially people kind of like myself or others in the industry that, you know, come from an engineering background, but then get into data and like, you know, the logic of coding and trying to learn to code, but then it's like, okay, well, what do I learn first? Right. Do yeah. I do Python R C like where do I start? And so being able to hear actual feedback from somebody that like, Hey, Python to Rust isn't that bad also helps, you know, from a dev perspective, right. That there's, it's not future proof, right. Because that's, that to me is like the biggest, one of the big risks that I'm sure you probably run into with the operators, mm -hmm. right. Is like, we don't want a tool that's going to 
disappear in five years or, you know, we want open source because we want to be able to control it and not rely on somebody shutting us down or whatever. But that's, uh, that's cool. That's. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Python's uh, really popular in the, in the, uh, industry too. So yeah. there are ways you can, um, move just really, uh, high performance stuff into yeah. Rust and call it from Python. And so you can have a combination of Python and C sharp and Rust all in one project. And that's totally okay. So just yeah. use the best language for the task that you're trying to do basically. Yeah. Like, Cause you're not mean, the first one most, to tell us that. Most of the Python high performance libraries are really C plus plus that it's yeah, calling. Absolutely. And, and yeah. even like R calls a lot of Fortran and stuff yep. like that. So, um, no, definitely pretty interesting. So, and what about, um, I mean, are your applications, are they desktop cloud based, you know, how can they be deployed? So we've done something that's probably not the norm for our, our software so far. So, um, We've started with desktop applications with a cloud component. So it's kind of a hybrid of both. And the idea is that we try to get the best out of both worlds sure. that way. So um, you run your application locally on your computer, which gives you uh, really fast performance, um, which we probably wouldn't be able to do um, with a typical web app. Um, and you probably experienced this before. A lot of web apps just feel a little bit clunky for whatever reason. And, yeah. and sometimes it's because they can't right. um, have access to APIs that you only have when you're running locally as a desktop app. So uh, that's part of the reason that we've gone down that path. And then um, obviously having web apps is really convenient because you have the cloud component. So if you need to run a calculation across you know, 20 servers, then you can do that. Or right. if you want to have multi-user and you want to share yeah. projects and things like that, it's, it's easier for web apps. So. Um, our thought there is we can start with uh, all the desktop components and make sure that that works really well um, and has a great uh, UX. And then um, any of the cloud features that we want, we can we can add it into that desktop app right. where it makes sense. So we can still share files even though it's a desktop app. And a lot of applications work that way. I mean, we use Figma all the time, and right. you can you can save your files to the cloud and it, and it works. And uh, so we can apply a lot of the same uh, concepts uh, for our our applications that way too. Um, yeah. I, I, and especially for the planner, that's yeah. why we did it that way because you need, that you know, you, you interact with it. So you yeah. drag and drop a well on your, on your Gantt chart. And then we don't want to have to go all the way to the cloud, run the calculation, right. and come back down because um, yeah. that adds a lot of latency into every single interaction. So, um, by running locally, we can just do the calculation locally too. Um, and we've made it fast enough. So, you know, it, it can run on your, laptop yeah you know i've i ran on my macbook air this morning which is basically a potato okay yeah yeah no i was gonna i was gonna just ask that question um was just about like you know obviously people have varying you know degrees yeah. of laptops and, and what about i mean i guess it is is it i guess because it's built on that web technology for the front end like it can run multi um platform i mean windows or mac and yeah, we've we've just started with Windows for everything. I mean, it, it can probably run on everything else too, but yeah. we've we've started with Windows just because that is the, the ninety five percent of operators yeah, yeah. yeah. operate on. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, even if you wanted to be able to run calculations and and offload them, um, you know, we're we're thinking about ways that we would bake that into the app too. So then you can switch if you want. So if if your laptop is really really bad, yeah, for whatever reason, um, and can't run the calculation right. as fast as you'd like, then We'll have an option to be able to run it in the cloud. And then, so you, you kind of get to pick and choose like sure. what, yeah. what features make sense. I mean, you way. just, you just gave a perfect pitch for what I used to sell, which is edge. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? Like it's literally the, the, the pitch of edge computing, right? Is you bring 
the compute and the horsepower as close to the data as you can. And then you kind of use the cloud as, you know, a integration abstraction layer, or if you need to spin up, you know, a serverless load because there's some ridiculous heavy thing you can, and then dump it back down. Exactly. And it'd be totally fine. You know, you, you get an edge compute and you put a box in the corner of your office and you just offload the calculations to that. Right. Yeah. So then you get to run on your laptop, which maybe is low performance and you offload the calculation to edge. Yeah. Um, compute and then you get the uh, latency benefits of being on the same network. So that's the power of having a hybrid app versus solely a, yeah. a web app. No, I mean, I, I sold uh, basin modeling and reservoir modeling software for a while and the amount of, I just never realized how much compute horsepower some of those like Petrel and some of those have. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and even then, like one of our differentiators at that time, this was a while ago, almost a decade now, I think, uh, you know, one of the differentiators was ours didn't have a CPU or GPU limit mm -hmm. and Petrel did. Right. And so it's like, you have these operators who literally have these data centers in their office, you know, that they're offloading these basin models to, and they could only offload it to so many yeah. <laughs> servers yeah. because it's constrained, whereas the other one isn't. And it's like, even then it would still take, you know, days to weeks to run these mm -hmm. stupid models. And you're like, I can't even, comprehend yeah. how much longer that would have taken if you were limited by the number of cpus and stuff so it's like yeah they've got the a lot of them have these resources that's really cool that you will built your your infrastructure that way yeah and, and what's really interesting to me is how fast the average computer is now yeah um, if you set up your calculation and everything in the right way um you know you, you can make full use of the cpu and gpu that are in regular commodity right. hardware and, and things can go really fast yeah. if you uh if you're doing it the, the right way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's what we're trying to unlock with, with the planner is we'll make full use of the CPU. And, um, you know, I have pretty strong background in, in GPU programming too. So um, part of it's already running on the GPU and we'll probably take more advantage of that in the future so that we can take fast uh, or take advantage of fast GPU compute. Yeah. I think some of this ties in because you've got an open source project too, right? That is kind of born out of stuff you're doing for the planner, but that, is actually yep. getting some pretty good traction. And that, is that based around the uh, WebGL stuff? Is that right? Or yeah, so okay. there, there are a bunch of open source projects I work on um, that are related to graphics. So uh, some of them are focused on WebGL, and there's an upcoming standard. Well, actually, it's, it's just being stabilized in Chrome now um, called WebGPU, which is kind of an advanced version of, of WebGL. So um, you know, you've probably heard of DirectX and Vulkan and, and things like that. So WebGPU is trying to take advantage of the next generation of uh, GPU APIs. And um, so I've been really involved in WebGPU okay. um, since it was uh, first proposed. And we're basically working on an implementation of that. And so uh, through that, that's where I picked up a lot of my GPU experience and, and that kind of thing. Nice. It's like concept of that just to allow you allow calculations on the gpu from the browser is that the simple way to yeah. boil it down for yeah exactly so um graphics and compute so you can already do um graphics through webgl right. in the browser and, and yeah. you, you might have seen some demos like that where yeah they have, actually use it in plotly um plotly does it they, yeah. they have the two webgl call and then it can make you can plot like millions of points exactly you just got a canvas in, in your website and you can render these really advanced 3D visualizations directly in the browser. And so that that's already possible with WebGL. Uh, WebGPU, WebGPU is kind of the next version of that. So um, 
so Plotly, for example, would probably uh, upgrade internally and then you just get way faster uh, visualizations. And then on the compute side, it means, yeah, you can run um, compute directly in the browser. So there's lots of different use cases for that. But one of them would be um, you could do really fast matrix multiplication, right? So that's really useful for all of the ML use cases that are are out there now. Um, So it makes a lot of that possible. So you can run really complicated um, ML models directly Directly. in the browser. That's like, yeah. Yeah, the browser's an interesting space right now. I mean, like, because even like, I mean, you know, DuckDB's become a big thing on the like OLAP data engine side. It's like SQLite for that. And you can run that with WebAssembly in the browser. And then was it Anaconda put out the whole, like where you can run Python in in the browser. I mean, it's going to be interesting where people kind of decide to make these design decisions like server side or in the browser. Yeah, the browser is basically a full operating system at this point. So yeah. it's just trying to figure out how do we create an operating system that can run on right. all the different uh, I mean, that's real operating systems out there. Yeah, right. it's also the reason about Node.js was spun off that, right? It was just yep. the V8 engine that <laughs> exactly, yeah. Google had in Chrome, and they just ripped it out and said, let's make a server-side you know, framework out of it. Yeah, um, so it's the intersection of all these technologies coming together. So you have WebAssembly and WebGPU and everything um, all kind of happening at once, but it, it yeah, it's really interesting how yeah. that whole ecosystem is going to evolve over the next uh, year, probably even a yeah, few faster, months. Yeah, I know. yeah. It's, it's so fast these days. It's so crazy. I feel just saying that out loud makes me feel old. And I'm like, <laughs> like back in my day, you know, but it's like shit every week. It feels yep. like there's a new thing. And you know? it, it was interesting whenever, you know, we started with with products and and Josh would tell, you know, some of the folks say one generation above us on on the software game that you know we're not building a cloud app they're like what what, yeah. what are you talking about <laughs> you you're going backwards <laughs> yeah and you're building and, an execute and yeah and, and like I, I didn't understand fully why and i you know trust josh and, and everything yeah. and then you know as it comes together i'm like okay i get it yeah, yeah. your uh, your pnl appreciates it greatly <laughs> well, too well that's the beautiful yeah. thing about anything we can you know any way we can avoid giving jeff bezos more money like, well, i mean for. it's yeah. the the stat that i I know from my edge computing days was it's something like 80% of startups GNA is spent on cloud. Yeah. And it's like, cause I did a, I found this case study that Dropbox did and they cut their cost by like 74% by doing like a hybrid, uh, not true edge, but you know, kind of regional edge type deployment yeah. or co-located deployments. And they cut their cloud cost by 70 something percent. And it's like, wow. that's insane. You know? And then, you know, piggybacking off of that, right? It's like then, of course, makes that your, <laughs> makes your life a hell of a lot easier to go sell people because you don't have to have this GNA just overhead all the yeah. time just to host the stupid thing, right? You know how many yeah. startups failed because of that? Yeah, well, I mean, right, like because a lot of the a lot of the, the pitches, right, are well, once we hit critical mass or scale, then those costs, you know, yeah. go down exponentially or whatever, and it's it's like, well, that's a big if yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the space. No, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I think you also made the case like there's also people that were able to start oh, up for and, sure. and you know, build companies because they didn't right. have to have a server in their closet. It's a trade off for sure. I mean, one of the, one of the parts about it is we do like having the lower cloud costs because we can pa- pass those savings on to mm-hmm. all yeah. our customers. Oh, yeah. So that's a big benefit for us, uh, especially being a smaller company. Um, the other part I didn't mention earlier, so I talked about the latency of, you yeah. know, the full, you know, the hop to the cloud and, and back. Um, but the other aspect of that that is just moving data and, and having control of your own data. Yeah. 
Right. So that's also really important to me. I know how complicated it gets with some of the the new software that's coming out now and just trying to pull your own data back down from the cloud is, yeah. is it can be really painful if it depends on the vendor entirely. You know, I'm not saying all vendors do this, but a lot of them will lock it in and you pay like an extra license fee to mm-hmm. have access to the cloud or you API, you're charged yeah. based on bandwidth usage or um, they don't have the APIs you need to automate things that you'd like to. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's kind of like a step backwards from um, the, the totally raw yeah. database access that that was kind of the norm for a lot yeah. of the on-prem apps. Um, so I think that's an important consideration too. And so that's something we're really aware of. And so even if we do offload compute to the cloud, we want to make sure that you can still um, grab all that right. data really easily and you don't have to wait. Um, and, you know, a lot of the internet connections at operators, it's not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, even then, right? Like we were talking about this on a prior episode. It's like, is calling an API that returns, you know, a thousand rows at a time for millions of rows of data every single day across a bunch of different assets yep. more efficient than just duplicating the database and the like, exactly yeah yeah there's that I mean I mean sometimes like man I wish I'd just go back to FTP and just yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and the the data ownership side that goes back to what you said earlier about you know a product that might not be around in five years mm-hmm. so whenever we get into projects around data management or, or right. software and stuff like that like my advice is to is for companies to really own their data and own the integrations so that it doesn't matter like right. if, if a software sells to another company and they kill development not like that would ever happen right yeah you know? <laughs> no <laughs> get bought by a major yeah uh, yeah service exactly. company. like yeah like I, if if i'm running an enp i want to not care about all that i want to say mm-hmm. you know i can use the best tool on the market at that time and right. you know if a new scheduling tool comes out that's better than the one i have i want to be able to swap it out and you know get the data i mean yeah. that's that's the standard that you know if you look at the tools that like software companies use yep. and tech companies use like HubSpot and Zapier and yeah. like all of these tools, it's integration and all yep. that stuff is instant. Yeah, no, I know. I've, <laughs> I've fought for so long against using Zapier just out of principle. I'm like, I'm just paying someone for this API that I could write, but mm-hmm. then I'd have to manage and like yeah. all of that yeah. stuff. And it's like, you get to that point where you're like, it's just worth, it's not worth my time. Yeah, exactly. I can just click a few buttons and it's done yeah. automatically, right? But it also, I mean, from y'all's perspective, it's really smart as well, just from a, risk and security perspective right like that was one of the easy things for me when i was selling edge is like no it's yours it's on your network mm-hmm. you control it. it's behind your firewall you get to control everything yeah. right whereas you know if i'm trying to sell a cloud solution that's a much harder conversation with an operator because every single it department is going to be very leery of mm-hmm. data exposure and risk mm-hmm. and SOC 2 and yeah. all the other stuff that comes with all of that but yeah, it's, so one thing I want to get in, and then you know, kind of a stack, uh, a stack question, but it's more about. So I know you guys are really big on kind of work-life balance. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's distributed and remote, or whatever. Um, it's kind of like your communication stack. I mean, I've yeah, thought about. You know, I've looked into it a good bit. I mean, did you guys ever read like the GitLab remote work manifesto or any of that stuff? Or mm-hmm. uh, if if you have, it's great. Or if you haven't, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Okay. Um, I'm sure you guys are a thing or following kind of some of those principles too, but. Just curious how, how you guys communicate and what you use yeah. to facilitate yeah, that. Yeah, what's in your ops, comms stack? <laughs> Not much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I read like Basecamp's stuff. Okay, I yeah. really like their their kind of model. So our our communication is almost completely asynchronous. Um, so Rome Research is the tool that we actually use. Okay. Um, so it's it's a note-taking app 
on the surface, but it's really, um, it's got a lot of depth to it for connecting ideas and connecting, um, you know, topics and, and things like that. So you can link in any direction that you want. And so yeah. it's really like built to be like a second brain. And that's what we kind of see it as is our brain. But the majority of our communication happens there also. So there's a daily notes tab or a, a daily notes page that pops up. Each of us say, you know, here's what we're working on that day. Um, so we all see it. And so like we're not going through and reading or telling each other what we're working on, but we're all just like aware right. because we just see it in Instead the periphery while where we're working. Stand up call. It's yeah. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so um, so that's the main thing. And and what's cool about it is, you know, I can I can tag, hey, inbox Josh, ask him some question about a company or yeah. a feature or whatever. Um, and if I tag it the right way, then next time that feature comes up or that company comes up, you know, we can see all of those other notes mm-hmm. and all that history. Like it, it, it's, it's a note taking app that works the way your brain kind of would. Right. There's just um, like a discovery kind of yeah. searchability. Yeah. It's really, really on. cool. And you can add structure to it. And we've done a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but that's the main one. So we okay. don't, Really, we don't do Slack or Teams. We don't do instant messages. If something is urgent, we do like text or call. Um, and then we don't really email each other like hardly ever. Yeah. Like if there's papers to sign or like other right. stuff, then we'll send things around. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's basically it. Interesting. Um, I heard that it's Rome. All right. Yeah, Rome Research. R O A M Research. Um, it's not it's not very popular for like companies to use notion is more okay familiar. i was gonna ask if it was similar to notion so in the aspect that it's like it's a box with a lot of tools in it and you can configure that box to however you like within the framework of the tools yeah I, i'd say that it's more of a box with like the materials that you could make tools out of <laughs> so it's like less structure less like it's very open-ended like people use it for journaling. Um, other people use it for like actual research, like doctoral studies and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, the way that we use it, I think is pretty unique. I've connected with a, a handful of other founders um, around the world that use it for their company. Um, and it's really, really powerful. Like Notion is a little bit more structured. Yeah. Um, what Rome is really good at is remo- removing any friction from you typing stuff. Because that was always my problem with notes. Is like I open up one note. And then I have to think about, okay, what is the topic? And then what folder should that sit in? Right. Yeah. Where does it sit in the hierarchy? And, oh, it actually fits between these three things. And then, oh, shit, I forgot what I was going to write in the first place. Like before I even get yeah. there. But Rome, you just start going and then add structure, tag stuff later. That's awesome. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's cool. No, I mean, we use Notion quite a bit. And ClickUp even is starting to add Notion-like mm-hmm. features and stuff like that. But that's uh, that's a new yeah. one. I'm, and what yeah. Microsoft's supposed to be adding their Notion yeah. competitor or are they do yeah, I'm. I mean, you know, they're always going to be a fast follower with yeah. that stuff, but, but I don't know if they've with bought their GBT, or, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Notion Copilot I, type stuff. It'll be interesting. I think, I think Notion was one of the first ones right after the GPT three release that I saw like actively integrating some kind of AI into mm-hmm. their Notion or into their software directly, and it's okay. I mean, it's. I'm. I can't wait until the GPT-4 API goes public, which please make that public <laughs> as soon as you possibly can. Um, and also let us run it on our own servers so that uh, we can have a lot more fun with it. But um, it's, I mean, those productivity tools are so important in my mind because, you know, even someone like that, we're using Notion, right? 
Notion integrates with a handful of things, but then it also doesn't integrate with a handful of yep. things, right? And so it's like having some of that flexibility on the back end where I don't have to go stand up a stupid zap just to get whatever from somewhere else is so nice. Yeah. And a lot of the productivity stuff, it's there's a lot of masturbation like <laughs> snuck into it, like in Todoist. Mm-hmm. Like you're incentivized to create as many checkboxes so you can check off as right. many checkboxes right. as you can and stuff. And so you're busy. Or, yeah. yeah. And, and Rome, like there's, there's no notifications. Like you can make a checkbox if you want, but unless you search for it or have a query, you won't find it again. And so like that freedom is, is pretty cool. And cause I, I think we really wanted to build stuff around preserving focus yeah. for the individuals. And you know, cause the most value that we can create is by us creating things so yeah. him creating software me creating ideas and, and and other things like that um yeah rome research it's pretty wild like the founder is like out there so he, <laughs> he went and lived in a van for like three years to come up with the idea and like create the first version um i talked to yeah there's so we back it up all the time <laughs> just <Yeah>. in case because <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy that could just be like i'm good. done yeah yeah um nuke this <laughs> I, i've talked no i've talked to him and he's got some really fascinating like ideas because the way that it works to connect like an individual's brain and thoughts and ideas, he wants to make that happen for like everybody. So like connected thought across like everybody on earth and he's got some wild, yeah. wild ideas. So it's not in his mind, it's not a productivity tool or note taking app. Yeah. He doesn't really care about that. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. And they're funded for 10 yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't care. The um, future's going to be crazy. <laughs> Tana or Tana is another one that popped up that looks really, really good. And they're more, you know, traditionally structured. I think they're like Dutch or something. Um, I haven't tried it, but I've heard really good things. And and it's a little less uh, Wild West than Rome is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the. So I like everything except when you said you don't have Slack and that made me like cringe well, a little bit. I mean, they don't have the upstream people Slack. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. Well, that's why yeah. like, I assumed you use Slack mm-hmm. because of the channel. But yeah. what? so how do you all do like, you know, DMs or groups or just that like either single person comms or small, you know, department yeah. comms. I mean, we don't really like, like we have two, like we set out our communication principles where if it's urgent, like text or call. call. Yeah. Um, and, and we use WhatsApp usually for that. So we can you know have a group call and right. stuff like that if we have to. Um, and then the, the messages that we send each other in Rome, like usually we're all working like during the day. And so, so you can like DM in Rome. Not really. Like it's public. Okay. Like within Rome. Yeah. Um, just like you're tagging people basically. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And and so that's usually where a lot of our like back and forth messages are. Um, but like I said, there's no notifications. So like if I'm focused on something, I won't get a ping that. Ping, ping. Yeah. It's not like yeah. HubSpot telling me every time mo- someone hits the fucking website. Yeah. Because like mo- <laughs> most of our stuff like doesn't need to be answered immediately. Yeah. And if it does, call. And, right. Because that'll break through that's cool. everything. I like and then that. we have two meetings a week. Um, there's a book called Traction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we kind of took some of those ideas and blended it with yeah. our own stuff yeah. for meetings. Um, so we have one on Mondays that we call Business Time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we look back at last week, like briefly talk about this week, and then we get into like issues. Um, and we'll we're very like individualistic. Um, so we focus on like, hey, what would each of us want to do differently this week? as opposed to last week, like what habits, like work habits are we trying to like instill and get better at? And how do we spend our time and be real intentional about that stuff? So that's more the, the topic of that Monday meeting, um, and collaboration on, 
you know, projects that we're working on together and stuff like that. And then Friday is a headlines meeting. So throughout the week, if something really good or really bad happens, we tag it and note it in Rome with, and we tag it as headlines and then it pops up and in, in, in there. Um, and we just reflect on the week. And sometimes if we have time, if there's not like something really big happening, which lately there's been a lot of really big happening all the time, like in a good way, yeah. um, we'll talk about like ideas and random stuff for the future and things like that. That's cool. Yeah. Those are the only two meetings that we have regularly. I think you and Chris might have like one other one on the, on the dev side, but yeah, uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes yeah. it, it is useful to have the one-on-ones and just work through, you know, we're, we do a lot of pair programming. Yeah. Um, if, if some of us get stuck on a problem that we just have uh, one-off meetings for those sometimes, but we don't have a lot of recurring meetings on our calendar or anything like that. We're trying to keep <laughs> as much focused time as possible. And, you know, part of that is also that we're spread across time zones. So that's not even really feasible yeah, to do even if we wanted fun. to. Yeah. Yeah. So we're pretty careful about preserving time. And so Rome, like Matt was saying, is really trying to get the closest we can to yeah. a mind meld for the entire team um, as possible. And so uh, whether that's Rome or another tool, it, we don't really care about exactly which tool that is, but just like the idea of having one place where we can have all of our ops, that's really important to us. No, yeah. for sure. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what a lot of the individual tools out there are all trying to do, mm. yep. right? Like teams or Slack, you know, Slack and teams is a great example, right? It's like, okay, well this is good for like this very specific thing, but there's also this other thing like document, like notion provides, right? Where you can tag and embed and create tables and stuff like that. Teams doesn't like, and so now, okay, Microsoft comes out with a new product for that, but now there's gotta be some kind of like, it's a lot harder yeah. instead of just putting it all in one spot and letting it organically kind of tag or doing it the way that it makes it's interesting. What do you use for kind of dev uh, management? And um, So we're on GitHub. So that's where we put all yeah. of our projects and everything. And um, like to Matt's point earlier about software teams being able to swap software out easily. Um, you know, if GitHub disappeared, like <laughs> yeah. we're on the much Git, bigger it, problems. Uh, <laughs> well, but you, yeah, we're, since we're using Git, uh, that's the underlying protocol that we can switch to GitLab or, Right. You know, there's a, all kinds of that. services out there. So um, we're using uh, GitHub for that, um, which works really well since we have a lot of the open source yeah. projects there anyway. Um, for the actual dev stack, you know, we're, we're using VS Code. We're using Copilot, which is yeah. really cool. See, uh, see, today is VS Code Day for those who celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to sponsor the podcast, yeah. we are we are welcoming <laughs> but yeah no i mean yeah yeah was, i mean talk a little bit of ai ml and i know we're probably wrapping up here in a few minutes but i mean like yeah the copilot's been pretty awesome and, and i've been interested here because i use it primarily with python but like i've talked to someone who uses go you're using rust i mean it seems like it's working pretty well across most it, it works well for basically anything i mean as long as it has some <clears throat> data set with the programming language that you're working in that it can kind of figure things out and i really like it for the any kind of uh, more tedious tasks, especially just mm -hmm. auto filling things in, yeah. um, you know, you have a table and you're, you're just trying to, you don't want to write like a full macro or anything to like copy the lines and insert data, but it can auto fill information really well. Really well. Like I used it the other day for, I just wanted to sample data set for wells and like you can literally type oil well and it, it has that concept and it can start filling things out for you yeah. and it can create like a, a full JSON document of like the properties that you want for yeah. OOL with sample data, <laughs> yeah. which is really, really cool. I mean, I think that's one of the talks because this is a whole like, I think it started at noon today, central 
but like i think one of the talks was about generating like sample data sets with copilot yeah in in vs code like yeah it works really well for those kinds of use cases so that, that's what i really like it for and yeah just it's like a more powerful autocomplete basically yeah, yeah. no that's i mean that's something i've been waiting like 15 years for ever since yeah. i started coding <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean literally you can write comments and it gives you like pretty much functional code. yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean that's one of the main things i use gpt for these days and started messing around with Bard with some of that stuff, but only because my <laughs> hypothesis is being a Google shop with Bard, maybe it'll understand collab mm -hmm. better. And so I can just dump it in there and then run it in collab easier. But, uh, what else are, I mean, are you guys, are you using GPT or any of the new fun ML tools at all, either personally or in? Not right now. I mean, we've, I think everybody's played with chat GPT and I mean, Obviously, yeah. it's pretty mind blowing what it what it can do, um, and I think for the actual day to day, it's just Copilot for us. But we're definitely we have an eye on it. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting use cases that we can start applying uh, ML to in, in in this space. So yeah, this, it'll be really interesting over the next few months because, like we mentioned earlier, this technology is just like taking yeah. off so fast, and mm -hmm. it's it's honestly hard to keep up with the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's like I was at a AI meetup this weekend and they were one of the guys is working on vectorizing some PDF data, basically. And uh you know, he's like, Well, there's six different vector databases. They're all brand new. I think this one or I'm using this one, but that's only because that currently is the most popular one. <laughs> yep. And it's like, I don't know if it's gonna be here in six weeks or yeah. eight months, or like, you know, so it's it's still it's so early. It's such kind of wild west with a lot of that stuff. It's, it's fascinating. I, I like GPT just because it'll document mm -hmm. the code yeah. properly yep. every time, you know, like yeah. just the little things, right? Like that's better than a junior dev who isn't going to properly document it all day long. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I think, I think using something like that in the planning space is pretty interesting mm -hmm. too, because I think since Alexa came out, people have been saying they wanted Alexa, but for oil and gas. Yeah. yeah. And so being able to say like, Hey, what's this month production look like? Like all of that kind of stuff. Like I've heard multiple yeah. executives say, yeah, that's like, what Nash, want Nash to do yeah. for a yeah. while. Yeah. 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 yeah there's that, that need has been, or the desire has been around for a while, but mm -hmm. you know, we're going to think about how much of that is a desire and actual need. Right. Like some of that stuff is yeah. just ego stroking, like cool, mm -hmm. but <laughs> some of it yeah. could well, have I mean, We were talking to, value. you know, another guest and he was like, he's like, even if I'm using it, I'm not going to say that I'm using it because I don't want to like cheapen. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. like just use it to enhance the product. But you right. know, as soon as you start branding or using AI ML, it just mm. cheapens what the actual work and you know, the software potentially gives, you know, uh, that bad taste of overhyped promises yeah, and under delivered yeah. results. Yeah. Blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, I think there's a lot of people that use it for like, there's a lot of companies that started using chat GPT for like content mm -hmm. and like blog posts and social media and yeah. all that. And some people seem to like do that pretty well, but a lot, it's very obvious. Yeah. Like, like it's very, very obvious. Yeah, no, and, there's definitely and, a, a mastery to be had in just prompting, right? Yeah. Like I thought it was crazy when it, when I first started seeing people talking about jobs for as prompt engineers for yeah, yeah. GPT and stuff, but it's absolutely in my experience playing around with it. The more you mess with it, the better you start getting at 
like even the just act like, apps. Yeah, but it's know? just like knowing how to Google properly. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, right? you know, like do you even know what a quote does or <laughs> yeah. the word and, like, it actually right. matters. The you know, like in us Googling yeah. versus our parents, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's going to be, the, unfortunately, the same thing with AI <laughs> and GPT. Yeah. And, 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 like, I do a lot of writing and stuff, and, and like, I take a very, like, creative approach to it. Like, some people are very, like, methodical to writing and outline and, like, topic by topic. And so I found that it helps me like be more comprehensive and like yeah. outlining. Mm -hmm. And so like I'll have an idea or a message that I'm trying to convey and I'll ask it for hey, like give me some counterpoints. Tell yep. me why this isn't true. Yeah. And then I can think about those and then write something based on the idea. So I've found it useful for some of that. But yeah, it's sense of humor is terrible. <laughs> like I tried to like use it to say something funny and it was just bad. Like, yeah. It's it was it's, very like corporate. It definitely like, funny. lacks <laughs> like the human nuances and yeah. a lot of scenarios that reminds but, me like was it south park or the simpsons when i had like a it was like a german robot like a joke bot or whatever and it was just terrible and it was like <laughs> <laughs> well that's but like sarah, sarah was telling me last night she was like have you seen the the snapchat ai everyone's talking about and she's like i don't understand she was like we've been doing this since smarter child on aim and yeah she was like i don't understand why people are so excited it's probably a lot better than smarter <laughs> yeah. child is, was on AIM. yeah <laughs> but you know, but again to agree you know i think one theme we're seeing lot through these podcasts too is like everything old is new again too like yeah absolutely when i agree with you wholeheartedly right like at some point it will probably get to the point where it's kind of like the deep fake stuff almost mm. indistinguishable with blogs and content yeah. versus people but right now it's way better right like hey i've got this idea give me some talking points yeah. or an outline or here's my i here's my writing make it not sound like I'm an idiot or <laughs> yes. proof it debug. I mean, you mm -hmm. use it for code debugging too. Like just help me make this better than it currently is by myself. You know? Yeah. Cause to me, it's kind of replaced the gap that Google left because it got overrun with ads and SEO yep. and just the quality of your yeah, search right. results is, just went bad. So seems like chat GPTs like filled that need. As long as, <laughs> as long as I've started having to do this, putting like a prompt at the end of it saying like, if you're unsure of the answer, tell me you are unsure because it will completely feed you shit mm -hmm. that it's very if you didn't double yeah. check or go, <laughs> you know, look it up. Yeah. You would be like, Oh sure. Yeah. And then like, I was trying to look up some company data. I was like, let me see if I can like scrape some stuff with this just to see like what it would do. And it was spitting out, you know, I was like, give me the street address, city, state, zip code, URL, LinkedIn, stock, ticker number of employee all this stuff I, was just, I just want to see what it returns it started and gave it to me in a tabular format exactly how i wanted and it filled everything out then i go to linkedin and start looking and it's like none of this is even close yeah. to right like i was like how did it even come up with this you know it just spits it out and so that's my ai warning for the show it does apologize if you correct it though <laughs> yeah <laughs> you want to jump into the last question yeah. and then speed around yeah. Um, yeah. So what's, you know, I guess for both of you, what's one piece of advice you'd give to people looking to get into energy tech or the current energy tech community? I think there are still so many gaps out there um, where if you deeply understand people's workflows and you work directly with them to understand exactly what they're dealing with, then um, there are lots of opportunities for software improvements or, I mean, not, not to Matt's side, like all of the process improvements that are out there. Um, there's still plenty, plenty of opportunities. So, um, I would say try to find somebody that you can work closely with. Maybe it's a company or just some, some engineers at a company somewhere, um, work closely with them and see their day to day and 
there are all kinds of opportunities still. Well, true. Yeah. yeah, he he stole my answer. No, <laughs> but I'll I'll build on it though because I think a lot of companies they do a good job of finding like the initial idea and finding a problem that they need to solve and then solving it pretty well, but then get really distracted after that. And so like keeping that question of like what is the problem that you're trying to solve okay. top of mind all the way through. Um, I think that baseline, that foundation of like actually doing something valuable, I think can't go wrong. Yeah. Well, I think to your point too, like I feel like because just societally, right, we see a lot of these tech startups and unicorns and all this stuff, everyone coming out of high school or college wants to go create the next big thing. And it's like, there are so many more companies that were created because someone went and worked in an industry at a company, whatever, for six months to 20 years and saw through that experience that there was this problem and this gap. And then they went and fixed it. Right. And so it's like, what I'm trying to say is you don't have to go out and become an entrepreneur right out Mm -hmm. of the gate. Like go get some experience and learn and see where these gaps are because it's a hell of a lot easier to go fill a void that you know exists and you're directly experienced with and, understand the stakeholders and the processes and the software and the workflows and all that, instead of just coming up with a random thing that you think might help. Yeah. Yeah. Go go get a customer support job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where you'll find lots of business ideas Mm -hmm. in there and problems that whatever company you're working for is not solving. Yeah. Yeah. And people in the industry have been really great and everybody's willing to share. Yeah. These are my big pain points and I, I would really like this aspect of my job solved. Um, so everybody's been really great. So you just ask the question, phone somebody and, or 20 people and, and see if they have common problems yeah. and, yeah. and build that exact solution. Um, like Matt said, be focused on that exact problem and don't get distracted by all the other shiny things out there. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons we're building the planner is because a lot of people asked us to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so pretty clear sign. Yeah. yeah, we would show, we show them the validator and they say, that's cool, but can you build me a, a, a planning tool? <laughs> yeah, but now you get down to, you know, at the customer level and understand what, what they yeah. need, what they want. And, and I think, you know, kind of similar but different, you know, you're not valuable because you know Python or, mm-hmm. right. or R or whatever. You know, like you're valuable because you understand the business problem and then you can use one of those tools to solve it. Yeah. You know, like just you see a lot of people, oh, I did a this boot camp, or whatever. And now I know Python. So, you know, that should be hireable. It's like, no, right. You know, I'm valuable because I can go talk to someone in accounting and tie it to someone here, you know, understand why, why that matters. And then, you know, build a proper solution around it. Yeah. I mean, most people, again, they don't care. It, you know, most people that will ever use Josh's product will never care that he wrote it in rust and whatever yep. things behind the scenes. It just, it needs to work and needs to work fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, I mean, really you're solving their problems and they don't care how you do it. Yeah. And, and that's one of the, I think, misconceptions is that when we're talking to somebody and they ask, you know, could you do this? And we're like, yeah, if you want to, um, yeah. I think they, sometimes that comes off as, you know, we don't have an opinion for how it should go and we're just kind of open book, but like what's actually happening is like, we have a very strong vision for the endpoint, but it's up to individuals to convince you otherwise. Well, that, but also each person's like path to get there yeah. is going to be a little different and how individuals like adopt technology, right. how comfortable they get with things like that kind of stuff. So I think we've got a vision for the endpoint, but you know, the way that different people can make it there, yeah. that's, that's how to manage the change. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes so much more sense. I think just generally speaking, especially for the kind of generalist management 
people that aren't in the dev day to day, the languages, the databases, those are just tools in a toolbox, yeah. right? Like the dev themselves is the one that is going to be doing these things. So having domain knowledge, ex- experience, et cetera, is so much more valuable than if you know a dozen different languages, but you have no you know, production engineering experience, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's something that I feel like goes overlooked or like you look at the, some of the job applications and stuff and all the requirements for mm-hmm. must know all these languages and stuff. And it's like, is this person actually going to use all of these languages? Cause the description doesn't even make yeah. sense in that context. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's the intersection of you have software knowledge and the domain knowledge, yeah. which I think is so important. And so if, if you have a background as a developer, then it yeah. is worth trying to understand the domain really deeply. And, and same way, if, if you understand the domain, really deeply and you want to get more onto the software side, then I think that's a really powerful combination. It's, it's like a superpower for yeah. a developer to actually understand yeah. deeply the workflows that yeah. they're trying to solve. Especially in a science and engineering world where yep. people also want to debate the differences in a physics-based model and a statistical-based model, right? <laughs> yep. And like, I also think just generally speaking, as engineers, we're very logically driven as it is. So that's why to me, coding is natural, relatively easy. Understanding code is relatively easy all the detail and stuff that I get hung up on can be solved with things like Copilot and whatever else comes in the future. But yeah, just having, you know, for all the engineers out there that are kind of like wondering about it, it's new and it's scary, but it's very much so in like, it will fit in your brain very Mm -hmm. easily because it's just logic. Mm -hmm. That's all it ends up being at the end of the day. A lot of, a lot of it at least. Speed around. Yeah. Let's jump in. All right. Just, short answers we're just going to bounce a bunch of random questions off y'all and kind of go from there uh what's your favorite database i have a tie between sqlite and postgres seems to be a (laughs) common theme i'm gonna say one with unique identifiers yeah (laughs) very 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 not just uh, long form text fields. <laughs> Those yeah. are my favorite. Yeah. Just join on well names that never notices. <laughs> API. Um, yeah. So, what's your favorite, you know, managed service or something that you guys, I mean, I guess kind of hit on it with Rome, but. Yeah. I, I think for our actual ops, it's Rome for sure. Um, I mean, even though we talked about the benefits of running locally, we do have. AWS servers. So yeah. a, a lot of their services are, are great. I mean, the UX of AWS isn't the best, but the services themselves work pretty reliably. <laughs> so, you know, we have things like auth running on AWS. So okay. um, all of their managed services are generally pretty good if you know how to use them. Sure. Yeah. I'm still, I'm, I can't wait to see how they solve all any of the cloud providers solve the UX problem. It, it's because a it's, hard thing. It's, yeah. Like it's not an easy thing to bite off when you think about all of the different. <laughs> services and tools yeah. that they well, have. Well, but even that, like when you talk about UX, I mean, I, so that I think that's really where you get separate UI and UX. Like a lot of the UIs are terrible, but then you have to remember that they also have a whole like UX, like developer experience, mm-hmm. like CLIs and yeah. SDKs and all that stuff that maybe are actually pretty good. Yeah. Right. I mean, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, AWS is just overwhelming. You go, you go I mean, yeah, log in. And, all of them are like, oh, an engineer clearly had his hands in this. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, how else? Could you do it? You too, can, right? you can like see how it happened. I mean, they started with like a handful of services initially. So right. you click the menu and you right. just see those yeah. services. But yeah. now yeah. you open it up and your entire screen is yeah. filled with all the service names. Services, yeah. And you don't know what any of them mean. So yeah, I think that part could probably be better. Yeah. I'm going to throw a curveball. What is something that you see 
as having the greatest opportunity for improvement. And this can be tech side for you, kind of more operations management side for, for Matt. So to give you an example, my answer was uh, around APIs and data structure, or no, I'm sorry, it was around consortiums and how I think it's complete bullshit that we've got all these oil and gas consortiums that are tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars and yep. they're all moving towards the same thing except they never make any progress they never do anything and then you're just by default squeezing out any potential new companies or small companies mm -hmm. by having some kind of ridiculous price tag like that right like i'm personally of the belief that it doesn't really matter what the actual structure is as long as you define it and you document it and you stick to the structure whether it's json xml whatever like that's yep. going to change because those tools are going to evolve over time but just have coming out and having like a standard uh you know frac naming convention like why doesn't anybody publish that or just have that mm -hmm. right like it's such an easy thing but then everybody wants to have their own proprietary one or whatever you know anyway that's kind of just context i i think mine is actually the same I don't know if that's allowed, but no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, this is something I've, I've brought up a, a bunch of times. That, you know, there's no reason that we have to have our own convention for reserve category. Um, I mean, you can define that once and you just share it across companies, but everybody wants to code it a slightly different way. Um, and it just adds a little bit of friction every time you have to map those, even yeah, though it's well, representing the exact same thing. And, and you can apply that to so many different concepts. It's reserve categories. It's area field um what what are you naming all those things i mean <laughs> yeah. naming is a whole nother it, it doesn't even matter to to anybody so it's not because they've intentionally named it slightly different than another company but it, it just adds so much pain when you're just trying to map the same information <laughs> over and over and over yeah i mean i saw you brought not to you brought that up but i think was it in the slack channel about the afes like like yeah mappings why like why do all the categories not match across companies. I mean, there's only so many ways you can possibly spend capital <laughs> Listen, in oil and gas. That's the like, so I got my master's in energy business a couple of years, or five, six years ago now. And when I took uh, finance and accounting and I realized that it's just like wide open, you know, as an engineer, I'm like very structured and like you have yeah. physics and you have all these rules and stuff that you have to abide by. My mom is an accountant. So she's very like anal about the way things get done. And so I always thought for the longest time that accounting had like these very strict rules. And like, generally speaking, they kind of do, but mm -hmm. then it's like, well, you can pick which type of accounting you want to do out of the gate. <laughs> and then based off of that, you can do whatever the hell you want essentially under it yeah. within this, you know, framework. And it's like, you mean to tell me there's no standardization in this one industry across just accounting principles? Yeah. It's like, well, it's these two methods, and then it's just the whatever you want to do within that. It's like that's crazy. I, I think mine mine's related, and and but it's around like buying and selling habits for software in the oil and gas industry. I think buying habits are super relationship based, and you know which you know person brought you pies most recently, and like mm -hmm. a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think the the vendor side of that problem is the transparency into you know what does your tool actually do like putting demos on the website, pricing, like being more open about all of that stuff. I think, I think the entire industry in the market would benefit. Um, but For, that takes people too. Don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, that takes, that takes people, you know, taking a more collaborative, yeah. collaborative approach to yeah. things and more open and stopping like trying to kill each other and 
eat each other's lunch and no all they're all stuff. doing it well, and you're their own proprietary else. stuff matt yeah everybody's doing something completely unique and different <laughs> yeah like <laughs> then you get people wondering if someone's getting over on them and like wait we're the, basically the same company as them and they're getting at 50 percent discount from us and people talk you know yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know behind you know, the scenes like you know whether it's talking to other vendors talking to each other or, or operators yeah. like, your wait. pricing is never as secure or as secretive as you think it <laughs> yeah. is in no the oil yeah. field. absolutely definitely not and and i mean that's the way that we kind of approach it is yeah. like when when we're doing sales it's very much here's what we have well let's understand your problem see if there's a match if if so cool if not that's cool too like, yeah Thank you guys for coming out. Where uh, where can people find you? I also want to give you a second to talk about your book or tell people about it, where they can find it as well. Sure. Yeah. So you can find us on the internet all over the place, like LinkedIn, um, Twitter, and then pod2.co is our main site. Dot .co. Um, yep. Dot .co. And uh, so pod number two dot .co. Um, we've got a YouTube channel. So our podcasts and stuff are going up there that we recently started. Um, yeah, I wrote a book called upstream integrated upstream planning, the essentials, um, very, very well reviewed on LinkedIn. Lots yeah, of- no, I've, I've heard really good things. Like I got a message from somebody yesterday that I don't know, it just brightened my day. It yeah, was, it was awesome. really cool. Somebody I'd never that's met awesome. and they were like, Hey, read this. It struck a chord with me. It was awesome. Like really cool. Um, so it's short, takes an hour to read. Um, that's on Amazon. And then we've got integrated upstream planning.com as well as landing page for the book. Um, Cool. Anything else? You gonna wrap it? No, it's all good. But no, I mean, again, thanks you guys. Yeah, thank, thank you guys for being here. Yeah, so glad we could get you in while you're, yeah, while you're down here. So <laughs> while he migrated south yeah. for, for the for the week. Yeah. No, this was fun, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks course. so much. Thanks, y'all. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones. Who do? Goodbye.